0: This is a crowd podcast.
1: Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son
0: after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in.
1: So welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. We are officially in spring, and it definitely feels a bit more spring-like. It feels like I've been out this week without a coat, which...
0: um, it's been quite exciting. Have you? Have you? Have you dared to go out with
1: less layers on, Kate?
0: Probably less layers, mainly because I was gardening, so I got a bit hot. But it's absolutely glorious here today. Beautiful sunshine, so I can make the most of it later on.
1: Now, um, last week we were talking about your experiences of your visits to the GP, and thank you so much for sharing your feedback. It's always really interesting when you know you do tell us about your experiences. I had a real mixture. I had some people saying their GP was great. Some people were saying their GP was was dreadful, which I guess shows that there isn't really a happy medium, which is why we want to have this conversation. Did you have any feedback?
0: Yeah, exactly. Same as you. Real mixture. It was lovely to see really positive reports, but equally very sad to see when things haven't gone quite so right.
1: And one of the other things that we wanted to just make sure you were aware of that I've been talking about on my Instagram last week as well is that the government have put out this um, this call for women's voices. They're creating the Women's Health Strategy and it's running till, till May and they have got this kind of questionnaire. It doesn't take that long. I went through it maybe about, I don't know, five or so minutes. There are questions about your fertility, about different experiences that you've had, about whether you felt supported, how it made you feel. So if you are keen to share your voice which is ultimately what we are always encouraging uh, you to do then we'll put the link in the show notes for this episode because there's going to be a lot of links because it's a very interesting episode the end of endometriosis awareness month Kate you've been writing a paper how's it going
0: yeah no that's been going good I've been writing a care pathway which has been quite a lot of work and really useful for me and I've learned a lot actually about how we should really be caring for women with endometriosis and I just
1: had in my close Facebook group, somebody say that they've just found out, they've just been told they've got chronic endometriosis. Mm. Um, and they're totally thrown by it, having had all sorts of treatments and, and investigations. So we, we still know that this diagnosis does take such a long time. And we've got an amazing conversation with Andrew Horn, who's one, one of the leading experts. And I know how furiously you were making notes, Kate. I think you were such a keen student during that chat, weren't I you? I was.
0: Yeah, I could listen to him for hours. Um, yeah, learn a lot from him. So really useful to for anyone, you know, worried about endometriosis or, or have had an endometriosis diagnosis, listen into that one. It's a goodie.
1: And then following Andrew, we wanted to have the kind of expert and the patient conversation. I wasn't available, though, for this. And so Kate <laughs> caught up with one of her former patients, a lovely lady called Gemma. You were a bit nervous about it, weren't you?
0: I was. It's the first time flying solo. So I was really nervous. Really, it was the moment that I press record. And in the back of my mind, all I could think about was how you start it and you do this big smile. And I just thought, right, I've got to do that to get my voice in the right pitch. And the minute I did that, I just felt so nervous. Oh, Kate sent me
1: a message saying, how did I do? Which I didn't respond to all day because she put, let me know or I'll be worrying. And so I left on worrying all day. But all day. She did a great job and um, after Andrew's chat, you will hear Kate chatting with Gemma and as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. So do make sure you listen to the end. We'll give you all the details of how you can get in touch with us on our socials, how you can join our closed Facebook group. Also, we have our Ask the Expert Answer from James Nicopoulis. And when you do get in touch with us, then you can submit all your questions, which is, you know, what we always want you to do, because we want to give you as many answers as we can. So without further ado, let's crack on with what is a a, a lengthier bumper episode. But we hope will give you, especially if endometriosis is something that you are wanting to understand more of, maybe you've you've had a diagnosis, we really hope that this is of, of use to you. And do check out those show notes because there's going to be some really useful links for you there as well. We're really pleased to be working with Bioglan on the Fertility Podcast. Bioglan's red krill oil is a pure source of omega-3, which supports heart, brain and eye health. And it also contains sustainable sourced krill oil from the Antarctic Ocean, which I've been learning a lot about. It's also quicker for our bodies to absorb, much more so than normal fish oil. so We get the health benefit faster. And the good news is there's no fishy aftertaste or reflux. Now, I take these little red pills daily, and they really are super small
0: and easy to swallow. And what are the benefits of omega-3 when it comes to fertility, Kate? Well, that's a really interesting question. There are some studies to show that omega-3 can improve in sperm quality, actually, which is really interesting. Uh, there are actually a few randomized control trials, and those are our gold standard. So those are the really the research studies that you really need to be looking at. And they show that there is this improvement. With regards to egg health, there are studies, but they're of lower quality. But it it does show that there are potentially some improvements in egg health. But I think when it comes to egg health, we still need to do more studies to fully understand the benefits.
1: So in terms of what you're going to take when you are looking to
0: optimise your fertility as much as possible, Omega-3? Yeah, absolutely. I recommend it to my patients, to both male and female. Why not? So if you want
1: to discover the biogland difference, it's available to purchase now at Holland & Barrett, Amazon and Tesco. So we're going to welcome Professor Andrew Horne, who has probably one of the the largest kind of job titles of our recent guests. He's the Professor of Gynaecology and Reproductive Sciences at Edinburgh University. He's the chair of the academic board of the Royal College of Obstetricians. He also established the EXPECT Centre for Pelvic Pain and Endometriosis in 2015, which we're going to be talking more about. He's an experienced researcher in women's health problems with a specific focus on endometriosis and pelvic pain. Has published over 150 peer-reviewed scientific papers. He's the UK representative for Eshray, a trustee to Endometriosis UK, and he's also uh, the co-editor-in-chief of Reproduction and Fertility. An extensive list of things that you're involved with, Andrew, and we're really wow. pleased to welcome you here to talk more about endometriosis. So so welcome to the podcast.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: I, I want to start with asking you, as we're speaking at the end of Endometriosis Awareness Month in 2021, how you think the perception of the condition and the time of diagnosis is looking today, considering all the work that you're doing?
2: Uh it's a very good question. So I've I've worked in the endometriosis field for over 10 years now and I think I've seen a huge change in terms particularly around awareness. Hopefully those of you who have been listening will have heard something about endometriosis in the last month in the news or on social media. I think people are much keener to to talk about it. It was once referred to as a hidden condition. So yeah, I feel very positive at the moment that things are starting to move forward.
0: That's great to hear because this whole timed diagnosis, as we know, takes so long with endometriosis. So I'm, I really hope, like you say, with awareness, that will start to change. And you mentioned about the news and what I want to ask you is because you were in the news last week with the new drug trial. And it's so interesting to hear that the cancer drug, and I'm going to, have to put my teeth in now, Dichloroacetate is being oh, used. No. Right yeah, yeah. First
2: time, first time.
0: <laughs> is, is being researched and, and as, through a trial to see whether this could help with endometriosis. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Because it's fascinating.
2: Yeah, so this this all started back. I have to pay credit to a PhD student of mine uh, called Vicky Young, who used to have all these fantastic ideas. I used to tell her to keep an ideas book to try and uh, keep her. Focused and she and I started working on trying to better understand why women uh, developed endometriosis. And we discovered that they produce excess amounts of something called lactate in their pelvis compared to women without the condition. And so we then, having d- done this body of work, then decided, how, was there a way that we could reduce? The lactate in, in the pelvis and possibly treat or prevent endometriosis and so we looked uh, to drugs that had previously been used in other conditions and this drug has been used as you say in trials for cancer it's been used to treat uh, rare metabolic disorders in in children and tested it in models in the laboratory and then um, we've just recently started a, a clinical trial uh, to look at it in, in in patients with the condition so that's the kind of how we've got there
0: So interesting. So what do you hope that the the drug potentially could, how could that help women?
2: Well, we think that the lactate in the pelvis predisposes to the formation of the lesions. So the lesions need to stick to to wherever they are, whether that be the the lining of the pelvis, they need to invade, form their own blood supply. And these are all steps that happen in, in cancer as well. Hence why, we started looking at this drug, and so we hope that potentially that the drug will, you know, prevent the the progress of the development of the lesion, or if somebody's maybe had surgery, we could give it to them afterwards to prevent it from recurring. The other thing that's interesting is lactate. Uh, you, you you probably know about lactate because if you get a stitch, if you go running or whatever, it causes pain. Lactate itself seems to cause pain, so it may be that actually targeting the, the lactate and reducing the levels of lactate also help with pain management.
0: Amazing. It's so
1: interesting. We'll, we'll talk a bit more about the kind of the pain, the conversation about pain, because I know that there's some really interesting papers on, on, on the website for people to, to look at. Because I also want to just talk a bit about the Esprit 2 t trials and what that's looking at, because we're speaking at the end of March. Am I right in saying you're starting the recruitment next month?
2: Yes, so the uh, SB2 is a a surgical trial. So you you maybe recently heard about the APBG report on endometriosis, which was this cross-party report, really looking at ways that we could better manage individuals with the condition. And uh, part of the work was to survey patients who'd had surgery for endometriosis, and it found that staggeringly only around 25% of them felt that they had benefit from surgery. So the Esprit 2 trial is actually looking at a particular subtype of endometriosis called superficial peritoneal disease, which accounts for around 80% of the disease that we see. And we're looking to see whether or not surgery not only improves pain symptoms, but also improves quality of life. Because of course, surgery itself can carry problems with complications uh, as well. So we think this is a really important and exciting trial and will be Rolling it around, out across the UK in up to seventy uh, UK centres over the next few years.
1: So, if people are listening are wanting to to put themselves up for for recruitment, can we add a link in the in the show notes for where they can yes, go to? Yes. So
2: we, we, we can give you I can give you a link to the website and certainly. So anybody who's having a diagnostic surgery for uh, suspected endometriosis can take part in the study.
0: Oh, amazing. That's really useful to know, isn't it? Yeah. When you talk about the fact that you've seen in the last 10 years that awareness has been raised around endometriosis, what do you think are the main misconceptions about endometriosis that women and you know everybody perhaps, society has?
2: I think the first thing is, when is pain abnormal? And I think lots of people maybe assumed that having period pain was normal, were maybe told by their family, their their mothers, relatives, that it was normal, then maybe got to a GP who maybe said it's it was normal, maybe even got to a gynecologist who said it was normal. So I think that's, that's something that I think has changed. And I always say to people, pain isn't normal if it's affecting your relationship, your ability to study, to work, etc. And that's when you need to, to seek help. So I think I hope that this I, idea has has changed and we've moved forward from that.
0: Mm, I agree. I think women are told probably from a very young age, even when they first start their periods, that actually period pain is normal and you just suck it up, you just get on mm, with it. Yeah. And you know the the fact when it starts to invade in your your general life and your quality of life, that's when it really shouldn't be tolerated.
2: Uh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: And I mentioned a paper that I'd seen on
1: one of your websites, you talked about um, the psychology of pain and the importance of understanding it. Is that what you're hoping that, that this dialogue around what pain and this paper can actually help people maybe identify with some of the things that you highlight there and, and, and speak up more?
2: Yeah. So, so you mentioned the expect center, which I set up, and that, that center is very multidisciplinary. So we're very lucky to have a, an excellent pain psychologist who uh, works with, with our patients. Now, she can't take the pain away or cure the pain, but obviously a pain psychologist's role is to help you maybe deal with flare ups, help you try and just, uh, it's not about accepting the pain, but But also manage it in different ways other than having to take medication or having to undergo repeated surgeries. And I think anybody who has a chronic pain condition, whether that be endometriosis or any other uh, similar conditions, usually finds they have a huge benefit from input from a, a pain psychologist. Often they can pull together other patients with pain conditions as well, and you can work as a a group which people find helpful but also they can educate you in you know things like types of mindfulness uh, self-help cbt those sorts of things which can be really helpful in conjunction with other treatments you know more more standard sort of medical and surgical treatments
1: and it's really validating the pain for the patient isn't it rather than fobbing Uh, them off
2: uh, absolutely, and I think it's also about educating patients about why they are experiencing pain, what the mechanisms are, what why it happens, why they get flare ups those, those sorts of things as well and I think that's really important. I think if you have a good understanding of your pain, then you're much more empowered to to deal with it
1: so we've we've highlighted that that the, the pain the pelvic pain is a is a key symptom of endometriosis. Are there other key symptoms that we can make people aware of?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I've always said, I think again, in the past, people talked about it, it being a disease of the womb. It's not a, it's much, much more than that. And the pain itself can come in different forms. So it's not just period pain, it can be pain outside of periods in the pelvis, pain opening the bowels, passing urine. Something that's very difficult is pain with, with sex. And that obviously has uh, major implications with relationships and fertility, et cetera. But patients with endometriosis also experience fatigue, and that's been something I think that's more recently been noted because obviously it's quite a, a general symptom. And then of course there's the whole uh, issue around fertility. With endometriosis, I'm all I always try and be positive to patients who've had a first diagnosis of, of the condition, because two thirds of patients Are diagnosed with endometriosis will have no problems getting pregnant. And the thirds that maybe do have problems getting pregnant often get benefit from from surgery and that helps them get pregnant. Or if they need it and they have to have IVF treatments, that's often very successful, even if you have endometriosis. So it is an issue, but I always try and be quite positive that we can do something about it if it Mm. happens.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One of my the biggest frustrations, uh, kind of along the time to diagnosis, and also dealing with my own patients, is the lack of a recognised assessment tool. You know, unlike PCOS, where we have the Rotterdam criteria, not that that's always used, although it should be, there doesn't seem to be anything really for endometriosis. I tend to use the only thing that I've been able to find, which is developed with the RCN and the Endometriosis UK, which is the RCN kind of assessment tool, which is really for patients. You know, you you give it to your patient and say, take that to your GP so that you, you can... You can say that you've kind of have a lot of these symptoms and I tend to assess my patient based on that. Do you think in the future that there will be a recognised assessment tool? Is that in development that you're aware of?
2: So I think that's a really good question. I think at the moment, the, the only sort of red flag that somebody might have endometriosis is if their symptoms have a, a cyclical pattern to them. So maybe come once a month, uh, you know, at a uh, regular time. But the problem with endometriosis is the symptoms often overlap with other pain conditions like irritable bowel syndrome, pain bladder pain syndrome. So, so it is very diff- difficult as a patient or with suspected disease, or even as a clinician to be able to make the diagnosis based on a history or even an examination. I think one of the ways of being able to develop these tools is to do much larger, what we call longitudinal population studies. So, you know, following up individuals over long periods of time, collecting information from them maybe through apps, maybe even with wearable tech like smartwatches to be able to see if we can then identify particular things that make them more likely to have endometriosis. So we need here to work with uh, scientists who are referred to as data scientists who work with big, big data and, and uh, uh, very uh, powerful computers to try and tease out uh, these factors. And hopefully, I think you're right, hopefully maybe one day we will have a, a tool that, that can help with the diagnosis,
0: because that we'd hope would then reduce time to diagnosis significantly, wouldn't it? Absolutely, if, if everyone was using that.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the other the other problem that we have is diagnosis largely relies on surgery. Uh, some types of endometriosis can be picked up on uh, imaging, on scans or MRI, but because most people n- need to have surgery to get the diagnosis, as you can imagine, that that adds another dimension. So, if we had a A blood test that would diagnose it. I think things would be a lot easier for people with the condition.
0: Let's hope science, you know, is kind to us and brings us to that event, that that to us eventually.
1: Because you mentioned surgery there, and I just want to talk a bit more about how best people can live with this condition, and talk a bit about the the surgery options that are available.
2: So I tend to refer people to the nice guidelines, which anybody can access, uh, and they recommend that if you have symptoms suggestive of endometriosis and we've talked a bit about them already that one of the first things to do is trial a short course of painkillers most people will have tried painkillers like what we call non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and potentially consider taking a three-month trial of something like the combined oral contraceptive pill because if that that helps and people are happy with that management that's a simple thing uh, to do Obviously, it has implications if someone's trying to get pregnant. If that isn't helpful, then we encourage patients and general practitioners to consider then referral to uh, secondary care to to the hospital setting to see a gynecologist uh, to discuss whether or not to have uh, surgery. And surgery for endometriosis is uh, keyhole surgery so-called laparoscopic surgery. And the option there is to have the endometriosis removed either by cutting it out or burning it out with with, with laser. There are different approaches that can be used. Lots of discussion about which might be better, although we don't really know uh, for certain. And that's something we hope to tease out in the trial. And then, as I say, unfortunately, there isn't a really good way of predicting those people who will respond to surgery. So It is. I think it's really challenging for patients because they sometimes will be going down that route still not knowing what's going to happen. And a lot of it's waiting to see whether or not the surgery has been of benefit to them. And then sometimes when it is beneficial, they then maybe have a recurrence at a later stage. And again, we don't fully understand why that happens.
0: And if we kind of move on away from, I guess, surgery and perhaps looking at some of the other remedies I guess that women might consider what's your opinion about holistic treatments or complementary therapies such as acupuncture but also diet and exercise what's your opinion on all
2: those? So I'm I, I really think these are, should definitely be considered I suppose the caveat is like, like a lot of the treatments we offer for endometriosis there isn't necessarily good science or evidence behind it. Uh, We're lucky in in Edinburgh that we do have an acupuncture therapist who works with us and works with our patients. So we are able to offer that. The patients who see our our therapist find it very helpful. Sometimes it's quite short-lived the benefit they get, but many patients maybe get weeks, months of benefit after an acupuncture session. So given that it has few side effects, it's straightforward to deliver i think it's a it's a great um, additional treatment with regard to diet this is something i'm very much interested in we again don't know which particular diet will uh, benefit patients with endometriosis but we know that lots of patients maybe have added things or taken things out of their diet and and found that helpful so we, what we're uh, doing at the moment is we're about to set up studies with um, Imperial College in London, University of Cork, to look at diet, collect information from patients. As I say, you know, lots of dietary information, uh, blood samples, fecal samples, uh, and look at whether or not we can tease out which bits of a, a person's diet either make symptoms worse or, or better. So difficult to study, but something that we're really interested in. The other area that we're really interested in is uh, around dietary supplements, in particular fish oils or polyunsaturated fatty acids. Uh, We know that many uh, individuals with endometriosis take these anyway and find benefit from them. So we've already carried out a small trial to to look at these supplements and we're planning a a bigger study to see whether or not they have any benefit. They they are, of course, anti-inflammatory and that's the, the premise around... Why they might be helpful
0: and with diet i mean i know a lot of women talk about gluten and being gluten free and we had a really fantastic chat with a fertility dietitian a couple of weeks ago and she she talks about the fact that this that women do present you know talking about that if they eat gluten that it can make them feel more uncomfortable and more bloated and have more pain but she's very Clear that you shouldn't really remove gluten unless you're celiac, for example, or that you really are noticing that correlation. And that ideally you should do that in conjunction with a fertility dietitian who can advise you most appropriately, which I think is really important because I think so many women are removing everything out of their diets at the moment, and it's not good. It's not healthy.
2: No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I think um I, I think there's a there's a huge role for for. Dieticians in in the management of endometriosis to to support people in doing this sort of thing.
1: And in terms of ongoing support, we'll put obviously links to Endometriosis UK from a previous conversation that we've had. But Andrew, what would you say to people listening in terms of getting support and maybe pushing a bit harder to be heard? Because we know that as we've we've talked about the, the, the issue is about the length of time that the diagnosis is still is still people are finding you know in in the, with their diagnosis. What would you suggest would be people's next steps?
2: So I think I think if you're struggling to get support, you're right, Endometriosis UK would be the first port of call. They've got some fantastic advisors. There are also lots of local support groups across the UK, uh, not just Endometriosis UK, but other ones that are set up, which are a, a great uh, resource. Um, I think in terms of if you don't feel that you're getting support from your medical practitioner, you can request to go and see somebody else. And you know, not not every medical practitioner will necessarily be as knowledgeable as the other about endometriosis. GPs have to know a bit about absolutely every condition. So maybe ask for a second opinion, ask to see to somebody else. And it doesn't help either when you first go for an appointment to, to come and say to your, your doctor Could I have endometriosis? Maybe take some information uh, with you from maybe Endometriosis UK. Uh, Sometimes it's helpful to complete a diary to show if your symptoms are maybe cyclical. All of these things uh, will will help. But I think the support groups are are really important, particularly when you've you've had the diagnosis made and you maybe need uh, to talk to other people with the condition as well.
1: We know from the conversations we see in our communities, just knowing someone else gets what you're going through especially if it Mm. is on a month by month basis that can it can be so so helpful andrew thank you so much for your time and we'll make sure we put lots of links like we've said to all the different projects that you're involved with and if we can help get more people you know involved in in the research then you know we'll 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 do all that we can so
2: great thank Thank you. you thanks
1: i know we could have carried on asking andrew questions there i was so pleased at how kind of clear we've got that information that I hope is really useful for you, especially if you're thinking that this is what's going on with you and you're wondering, you know, what to do next. Because that's basically the point of what we want to do with all the experts we bring to you.
0: Yeah. And it was so clear, wasn't it? We've, we asked him some great questions, which he answered amazingly. And I think that's given some really firm guidance. for anyone that's listening can just really... Take that on and perhaps empower them a little bit to advocate for themselves with their GP. So, yeah, that was brilliant. I love
1: that. Now, we wanted to go from the expert to the patient, and I had to leave Kate to her own devices to have a chat with a former patient. So, this is Kate
0: flying solo.
1: Let's see how she does.
0: I would love to welcome to the show Gemma Watts. Gemma is one in 10. She's an endometriosis warrior and has just started talking about her diagnosis and her journey on Instagram. She's also a really keen gardener and I have been loving her videos <laughs> and we've been having quite a few chats about sweet peas and dahlias so far Gemma haven't we? We but have. Welcome, Gemma it's great to have you here.
3: Oh thank you very much it's my absolute pleasure I'm really really excited to be here and yeah hopefully share some of my story Um, As well as sweet peas and dahlias along the way. (laughs) Sounds
0: good. And that's exactly why we want to talk to you, because we really felt that we would love, especially this month, Endometriosis Awareness Month, to have a patient story. um, And that's really important to us. But before I go into that, full disclosure, you probably can tell it's my voice. And the voice, which is our lovely Natalie, isn't here. So I am flying solo Let's get going and let's talk about your situations. I know that you've had symptoms of endometriosis for many years. So tell us about that and your, I guess, quest to get diagnosed.
3: I was very late to start my periods. I was 14, not very late, but later than all of my peers. They all started earlier than me. I'm very tall. I'm very skinny. So that had some factor in it. And my first period was excruciating. It was very, very sore. I collapsed in a lot of pain. And uh, the response from everybody around me was, well, you know, that's just your body getting used to you starting your periods. So that's completely normal and completely fine. So I said, oh, okay, that's that's no problem at all then. And then I would say probably the next few years were sore periods, but nothing that I thought was major. And so by the time I was 17, my periods were beginning to disrupt my day. They were beginning to have kind of I thought I need to be in bed for a few moments or I might need to sit on the loo a bit longer. And so my mum took me to the GP and said, we're worried about my daughter's periods. Is there anything that you can do? And they said, yes, we'll put you on the contraceptive pill. That will sort everything out. So my mum and I had a chat and she said, well, if it's going to solve it, let's do it. So went on the contraceptive pill um, and was on that for three years until I turned about 2021, 20, And then I had no symptoms for a good two to three years, um, none at all. And I was pretty much having pain-free periods, a few cramps here and there, but nothing to write home about, nothing to disrupt my day other than
0: needing to take a few paracetamol. And that's when you were on the pill? Mm, i have just come off the pill. You just stopped it. So you stopped it and you still, you weren't having any pain? No. Okay, right. Well, a very
3: mild cramping, which most people would call within the normal bracket of normal. Periods. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. And I remember the day that things changed, actually. I had trained to be a teacher. I had my first class. They were five-year-old little lovelies. Oh, and oh. I suddenly felt an enormous pain rush through my body. And thought, I really don't feel very well. I've got to go to the toilet now. So called my teaching assistant in and said, there's a problem. I've got to go. Um, And yeah, it was very, very unwell. I thought it was a stomach bug um, and it was just my periods. And then from that point onwards, my periods began to disrupt everything. Um,
0: Yeah. So you could actually remember when it really started to to turn and to get really bad again.
3: Yeah I remember the exact moment because I remember just having to be off work and feeling horrific about that because teachers never take time off work never look after themselves well mm-hmm. enough mm-hmm. and yeah I had lots of people saying are you okay and yeah it was just excruciating pain and then from then onwards really and I'm now 31 almost so yeah a long time.
0: So then what did you do then obviously you knew that something wasn't right and uh, did you go to GP and did you get the same old kind of Response actually, I think we're all told at some point is that it's quite normal to have heavy and painful periods, and therefore you just have to suck it up and get on with it. Did you have that kind of reaction?
3: Yeah, so I went back to my GP and I actually coincided when we were just about to get married. So I said, Look, we're getting married, we don't want children at the moment, so we'd like to be on some form of contraception and sort my periods out because that had been the way that it was dealt with previously. Mm. I just assumed that that's what it was and that there was nothing wrong, and so um. I did that, and I had a bit of an adverse reaction to the oestrogen in the pill, so they swapped my pill over to progesterone only, and I was on that for about two years, Um, but it just didn't suit me. My skin was breaking out and all sorts was happening, and so after that, I came off the pill again, Um, and my husband just said, no, we'll use other forms of protection, that's fine. And then it was really my husband and my friends who pushed me to go back to the GP, actually, because I was saying, I'll be okay. I'll be all right after going to the toilet or I'll be all right after being in bed for kind of two or three hours with this pain. And because the pain would pass, I just thought, well, I'll be okay, won't I? It's, It's totally fine, totally normal. And I'd get every three or four months, I'd get a period of a period of period, a period of time mm. in which my periods would be worse. And so um, I'd have to cancel coffees. My husband, on occasion, would have to help me out of the bath because it was oh, so sore. Um, and that's when he said, go back to the GP. So we did. And the GP said, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, Mrs. Watts. Um, do you know what I think you need to do? I think you just need to get pregnant because then all of your problems will disappear. And I said, Okay, well, we are actually looking to have children by this stage and kind of going, okay, yes, I think that might work. And I talked to other people and said, oh, yes, I used to have painful periods, but then I had my child and then it was fine. So we did that. And after a year, that didn't work out. And we're starting to think, is there something wrong? And then after that period of time, um, I went back to see a nurse this time. And she said, um, no, I think it's just the way that you're built and you're skinny. So why don't you put on more weight and then you will um, maybe have less painful periods. Try eating this. Try doing this. You should be fine. See if you need if you need
0: us again all of these opportunities. Yeah, to diagnose. Completely lost, yeah, to diagnose or at least to, you know, arrange for a laparoscopy to get a diagnosis. Absolutely. All all opportunities that have been completely lost along the way.
3: Yeah, so it wasn't until I was about, I can't remember now, 27, 28, I had a particularly painful period Um, and I've always suffered with feeling very tired around my period Um, And I've always had a bit of a funny tummy. My tummy sometimes, you know, does its own thing and I eat something. It doesn't agree. But I never matched any of those individual Mm. symptoms up to be part of a bigger picture because Mm. I've never been encouraged to. Mm -hmm. And so I went back to see a GP and it wasn't my normal one. It was a locum. And she did an internal examination. She did. um, She pressed on my stomach. And she said, Gemma, I think you may be having symptoms of endometriosis. Have you heard of it? And I had, I'd followed two people on Instagram whose houses I really liked. And it turned out that they had endometriosis. And I was following a part of their story and thought, well, some of those symptoms match up, but not all of them do. So anyway, I was referred for a scan. The scan was clear, as often it is with endometriosis. Always, yeah, yeah
0: not that you um, can't pick it up on a scanner no
3: and it's really I think it's really important because I've heard mm. it from a lot of people GPs then tend to say we well, have scans clear so everything's normal yeah and I really would encourage people to kind of push a bit further if they're suffering with painful periods because that really was my only symptom just this pain and it would go away it went away probably I don't know within about six hours of my period starting the pain would go so I went to see a, a gynaecologist at the local hospital and he said well given you've only got one symptom of painful periods and given that it goes away after six hours I really don't think Gemma that we're talking about endometriosis here and mm-hmm. so I left I left mm-hmm. the hospital I was mm-hmm. discharged and away we went on our fertility journey mm-hmm. and that kind of takes us up to about
0: last in um, February really yep. Okay, so what happened then?
3: Yeah, so last February, I got in contact with yourself because Mm -hmm. um, we were then pushed forward for fertility treatments because they said nothing is wrong. Um, And so we were scheduled to have three rounds of IUI, which we had to push for. And they wanted to put us straight on one round of IVF. um, But we pushed for the IUI because under our CCG, we're allowed to have three rounds of IUI. So um, we were diagnosed by that gynaecologist with unexplained infertility. Um, we went through all the health checks and then we'd seen a, his registrar and the registrar has said, no, you haven't got endometriosis. There's no point in us doing a laparoscopy um, to check anything out. You're just unexplained. The gynaecologist um, then said, yeah, I agree with everything the registrar said the next round, you know, when we went back to the appointment. And said, yeah, I agree with everything the uh, registrar has said. And so uh, you're unexplained, but you've got really great chances at stimulated RUI So go for those. And I wish you all the best. So we left that appointment thinking, oh, nothing's wrong. Fantastic. Really great. Got in touch with yourself because I thought, I still want to know my body. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure what's going on with my body here. And so through your support and kind of your coaching call, I really learned what was going on with my body i learned that i was ovulating yeah. i learned that my periods were regular but that i was still in pain um and if my periods were regular and i was ovulating clearly something was going on because my husband's um sperm sample was dead on perfect so um that kind of got me thinking something must be going on here
0: mm, mm, mm. absolutely yeah. and i mean you, all the way you talk about the fact that you had to push, 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 and you were getting so much pushback and it's just, I think, really good for everyone to hear that actually you just need to continue to be persistent and never yeah. give up. And you didn't give up. Yeah. So then you eventually had your laparoscopy and you Well, I had the treatment first. You so treatment I had the first. three okay, rounds so, of IUI. I
3: had okay. three rounds of IUI. And on my first scan at the fertility clinic, they said, Has anybody ever told you you've been you've got endometriosis? <laughs> And I said, oh, it's really funny you should say that. And obviously I now know what she saw. But I said, it's really funny you should say that. I said, all my life people have kind of, you know, questioned it, but I've always been told no. And she said, well, Gemma, there's a very large endometrial cyst. Endometrioma, edu- endometrioma yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that's a telltale sign that you've got endometriosis. And that's often the only thing that you see on a scan. So yeah. it's a good indicator.
3: Yeah, and I had heard that and then I thought, oh, dear. Are we mm-hmm. doing this in the right order and all sorts like that. So mm-hmm. um, I had my three rounds of IEY, which is grueling. The IEY that we had is a very similar setup to IVF, except that you don't go through the egg collection and the transfer. So mm-hmm. everything else is the same. So attending clinics for scans, the stimulation, the uh, pessaries, everything like that is the mm-hmm. same. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until after that that we went back, we went to see somebody privately actually. Um, and the, within five minutes of seeing her, she said, you've got endometriosis, so it's a question of what would you like to do about it? And I cried, because I just thought, yeah, I somebody has listened, yeah, and she actually heard. understands. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, yeah, that's kind
3: of what happened to us really
0: then. So you had your laparoscopy, and you were diagnosed with level four mm-hmm. endometriosis, or stage four endometriosis. How did you feel, based on the fact that you've got What is, you know, in case anyone doesn't know, endometriosis is kind of graded into different stages, with stage four being the most excessive type Mm -hmm. of endometriosis, where it's not just confined to the uterus, but you can have endometrial spots all over the body. You can even Mm -hmm. get them in the chest, you can get them in the legs, you can get them all over the place. And it's quite devastating to get that diagnosis, isn't it? How did you feel? um, And was there an element of anger that you had with the diagnosis earlier? There is a huge element of anger. There's
3: a huge element of, but why didn't you just do that? Why didn't you just listen to me when I said, you know, I even went in, I remember going into the consultant saying, but I have one symptom of endometriosis. And Endometriosis UK says, even if you've got one symptom, do ask. And really, now I think about it, I probably had two symptoms, one being infertility, Absolutely. the other one being the pain. And at the time when you're going through infertility, you don't think that you are infertile. It's a really weird thing. You kind of think, well, maybe I'm not infertile. Maybe something else is going on. You just don't know. Mm. So yeah, I felt very cross. Um, And actually the consultant that I saw first time lives in the next village. And I said to my husband, (laughs) I just want to go round and knock on his door. But um, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, I felt wronged. But also... I do actually feel relieved with my diagnosis. My consultant came round to me and said, sorry, my private consultant who we went to, who did the laparoscopy said, I'm really sorry, you have got stage four endometriosis. But Gemma, At least we know neither of us is going mad. Yeah. And I
0: thought, you know, that's so true. Absolutely. And you've been validated, haven't you? At long last you've been validated for your to getting through that struggle. And as we well know, it can take years, years for women to get a diagnosis of endometriosis. And I know that there's Things in place with various different reviews to hopefully get that changed and to raise awareness. Since you had your diagnosis, where have you looked for help and support?
3: I've been looking lots of different places, really. I think the reason I started talking about my endometriosis on my Instagram page and indeed my personal Facebook page is because I think we need to have better awareness of the disease. One in 10 women have it, and I have spent many hours searching, Googling, late nights thinking is there anybody I know who's got endometriosis? Does a friend of a friend even know? Because actually that would be really helpful for me. Since opening up about my story, I found out that four people in my church have got it, yeah. which made me happy, but also made me really cross because yeah. I just felt like saying, why haven't you shared your story? Because this yeah. is affecting so many people um, really, really far and wide. I'm fortunate slash unfortunate that two colleagues at work have got endometriosis and they're much older and they've had their hysterectomies and all sorts to try and cope the disease because it was much, 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 you know, a way long time ago that they were diagnosed. And, and yeah, I've looked everywhere. So the best place that I think you can find support for endometriosis is Endometriosis UK. Um, I think when you open up that you have this disease, you'll get a lot of, People pinging into your inbox saying, "Yes, my nice so and so had that, and they fixed it by doing this." Mm. But the truth of the matter is, all the hard facts, all the hard research, um, the minimal ones that minimal amount that there is, that comes from Endometriosis UK. Mm. And you can always cross-reference, cross-check something that somebody has suggested with the suggested supplements on Endometriosis UK, with the su- suggested support on there you can have a really good look. Um, you need to find people who know what they're talking about and aren't, for the best, for want ones with better words, going to sell you three litre bottles of kale juiced.
0: You need, Absolutely.
3: You need support. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And then at the other places, the Facebook groups. There are many different Endometriosis UK Facebook groups. Some of those are helpful in terms of support from fellow endometriosis people. Um, But I think you do have to be in the right mindset when you join those types of groups, understanding that everybody's story is different. And because somebody has stage four, um, doesn't necessarily mean that that's what life is going to look like for you. My husband was really great in saying, you've got stage four. But this is what you've al- always already had. So things aren't necessarily right now going to get worse. Yes. This is just confirmation of what's happening in your body. Mm. And that was really helpful for him mm. to say because I suddenly thought, oh, yes, it's not like this impending doom. This is just how I've always lived and what life looks like for me. Yeah. And we've just got um, a reason behind it. And then the last place is Instagram, actually. Yeah. There are many people who are brave about telling their story, and you can find them under the Endo UK hashtags or Endometriosis hashtags or Endo Warrior
0: hashtags. And Endo the Stigma, which is the uh, Endometriosis uh, UK's uh, hashtag for this month. And I know from looking at your Instagram, when you did open up about your story, you had something like 128 comments, yeah, which is huge, isn't it? Um, yeah. Just showing you, and I could see what well, I had a little sneaky look earlier that a lot of people you knew, and, yes. and you know, and so that was great that you're kind of linking all those people together and and that support. And I and I agree with you and thank you for giving those really great signposting for different areas mm. of support. There's the so many bad things about social media, but when mm. it comes to sharing aspects on fertility and women's health, I think social media, especially Instagram, is brilliant. What, what's your next steps, Gemma?
3: Number one is to control the, some form of pain and try and do that through diet and nutrition. My consultant is one of the lead kind of consultants within the endometriosis field. Um, and she has been really, really helpful in helping us guide the way through that. There's, there is some evidence that gluten-free diet helps some patients or dairy-free helps others you have to try and see what works best for your body but for me gluten-free is really helping me to manage my day-to-day symptoms if I have them or particularly during my period that's really been helpful yeah. and then yes we'll go for IVF um within the next few months we've just got to work out the internal healing that's happening it's yeah. a really fine balance because I've had the excision which is great um and that is a really good environment to put a fresh transfer into but then. They've got to work out when I'm at the right level of healing compared to the disease coming back. So we'll just um, see what happens. And I think as well, I think our other next step is to just get on with it. I think so much of the time we just... Can mope around, or I've got this disease and it's awful. And yes, there are days like that. Don't get me wrong. And you do need to immerse yourself in selling sunsets and having a cup of tea and about four hobnobs. Of course you do. (laughs) But then there are other days where you think it's not pouring today. It's not. There's no storm today. Let's just get on with this. And I think the more that you can vocalise your disease, the more that you can talk about it, make people understand that you're not being flaky when you cancel for coffee but you do actually need them to drop a cinnamon bun round on your doorstep. <laughs> I, think, I think that's where we've got to really work at. We've got to work at supporting women with diseases such as endometriosis to say it's not embarrassing, it's actually a fact of life, it's a disease, it exists, but you do need support and you do need friends to say, that's okay, should I just pop round to the doorstep instead? Um, and that's been really helpful we've got great friends but in order for that to happen you have to be open about some part of your story and you have to vocalize what you're going through because if you don't say these things people never know and you never know who you might bump into where who you might support at some point in their lives because they've just got an endometriosis diagnosis
0: so Mm. definitely talk about your disease if you can. Thank you, Gemma. You are a true endo warrior, for sure. (laughs) Um, You've given some fantastic advice there and great insight into your journey so far. And we all wish you the very best of luck going forward with your next treatment. So Thanks so much. And please have a look at Gemma's Insta page because like I said, not only is she talking about endometriosis, but you can learn how to plant sweet peas (laughs) And others. What other plants have you got coming up next? Yeah, on? we're
3: doing sweet peas, cosmos, and dahlias. They're like Fantastic. the
0: three simplest plants that you can grow in your garden. They are indeed. I have just done Cosmos and Dahlias from seed myself yesterday. So there we Perfect. go. So check out Gemma's Instagram, which is Gemma Watts. So W-A-T-T-S, and follow Gemma and see what she's up to. Ask the expert. Ask the expert. Ask the expert. Ask the expert.
1: Ask the expert. Ask the expert. Ask the expert. Are there any treatments that women with adenomyosis can undergo to increase the chances of successful IVF, i.e. similar or same to endometriosis treatment with GnRH analogue?
4: Oh, that's another really good question. The evidence that adenomyosis impacts on an IVF outcome, again, is quite varied. Um, There was a, a, a review recently that did suggest there was a small decrease in success rate if you had adenomyosis. First, it's quite difficult to diagnose because it's predominantly just on scan and you can only really properly diagnose it you know, if you're taking the uterus out and looking at it under a microscope, which clearly we don't want to be doing, because it's the same pathology, so the same process that, in, that links endometriosis to adenomyosis, so the presence of those deposits that usually live in the lining of the womb somewhere else, then what you can do is, yes, perhaps put people on the pill for a, a period of time before they come through for treatment to downregulate them. There's a little bit of evidence that, that two or three months of downregulation pre-treatment for women with endometriosis may improve outcome. The problem is what you need to do is compare the potential benefit of that with the potential detrimental effect of wasting three months. So in most scenarios, we don't do that and we just crack on with treatment. In a scenario, people are very symptomatic or perhaps have had implantation problems previously, then we might do that. But there's no great evidence that any individual regime has yet improved the outcome if you've got adenomyosis. Sorry, that's a little bit of a wishy-washy answer. No, but there's, no great, there's no great evidence either way.
0: That's great. That was Brilliant! I was massively scrolling that down because I don't know meiosis, is something that I'm not really massively familiar with. So to learn a bit more about that was great. So thank you.
1: you. See, it's interesting that you said there's some new research as well because I had a chat with an Australian doctor a couple of years ago called Dr. Vamzi Torrey, oh, who has done a st- had done a study yeah. about outcomes of IVF in women who specifically had adenomyosis. He'd published a paper on that. I think it was in 2012. So I will link that to uh, the show notes for for this episode if anybody wants to have a, a listen to what he says. Ask the expert, ask the expert, ask the expert, ask the expert, ask the expert. And do check out the show notes because there's going to be quite a few resources for you today. So have a little scroll down wherever you are listening, especially with that trial that Andrew, our expert, mentioned. And if you want to get in touch with Gemma, our patient, check out the show notes. Ultimately, the more of us that can share our experiences, then the more we can help other people who might be coming
0: through and... Starting to experience these things, so share far and wide. Absolutely, and I think the the research that Andrew is doing in Edinburgh, because yep. there's a number of different types of research, is so interesting. So, you know, if you've got endometriosis, keep your eye on that research because it could mean that things are going to change quite soon. Wouldn't that be great?
1: And we also know how some of you love having papers that you can read, and how it just helps you when you're kind of maybe feeling like you're going down a bit of a rabbit hole. So if we can steer you towards evidence-based research that, you know, is factually kind of correct rather than maybe conversations that you might see on a forum somewhere or in a facebook group then hopefully that will give you a bit more peace of mind and then steer you towards people that can help you further so make sure you have subscribed to the podcast and we'd love it if you rate and review us as well you can also come and join the closed facebook group for the fertility podcast where you can ask even more questions and you can follow me at fertility poddy on social media and me at Your Vitality Journey. And don't forget our Brew at Two on a Thursday at 2 p.m. on Instagram. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you, as always, for your ear holes. And until the next time,
0: Crowd Network, a place where you belong.